0: We are in the middle of a series on the book of Colossians, and we are going to be starting in chapter 3 of Colossians. This is week number 6. We've got two more weeks left in Colossians, and I have so enjoyed going through the book of Colossians. It has been just a lot of work, and some of you that have done the workbooks in small groups have realized this book is deep, and it is a lot of work to get through. But by the grace of God, we can understand His Word and apply it to our lives and allow it to affect us every single day of our lives. And so we're just continuing on in a series. And so this is week six, like I said, and we'll have two more weeks left. Next week, my brother Dave Hamstra, who is a pastor down at Cross Point Church, will be here preaching. And then we'll finish things out. I'll finish things out the week after that. So... Let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning as we go through His Word. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for the cross of Jesus Christ. That we can experience Your peace and Your grace and Your mercy. Lord, even when things around us are broken, God, we can experience Your grace. So, Lord, we pray this morning that you would allow us to dig into your word. That your word would affect our lives, that would draw our attention to Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to not just be hearers of your word today, but be doers. And live the things that we are going to learn and be challenged with this morning. God, I pray that you would help me to have clarity of speech. Lord, help me to honor you with my words. Lord, help me to do this for your approval alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, starting off this passage, Paul begins to take a shift in the book of Colossians. This is chapter 3. A shift begins to occur in this chapter. He's begun in chapters 1 and 2 of the book that we've been looking through. Paul has begun to lay the foundation of a theological understanding of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. If you remember from week one, we talked about this gospel is bearing fruit all over the world, is bearing fruit in your lives. This message of Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection for our sins, he says is bearing fruit all over the world and it's bearing fruit in your lives and in your church. And we looked on in in the second week talking about Jesus Christ, His preeminence in all things. His preeminence in creation. His preeminence in redemption for us. And then we looked on in, in, in week three about this message of the gospel that Jesus Christ is preeminent in. That we are just table waiters. Just delivering that which has been entrusted and given to us. The message of hope. The message of Jesus Christ then last week we talked about, we looked at um, Jesus Christ in our union with Him. Our identity being found in Christ. Remember, we don't find our identity in, in, in things. We don't find our identity in job or, in, or in, in possessions. We don't find our identity in being a good parent. All those things are important to work hard and to be a good parent and to, to do well at your job. He says the most important thing is his union with Christ. And so he's, he begins to, to look at what is the implications for this union with Christ. It's, this is how we have been united with Christ, not only in his, his death, but in his, his burial and resurrection and how we are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And so this week, what Paul does is he begins to transfer kind of this understanding of these past couple of chapters in the book and say, okay, now that you know what you know, here's what you need to do to live according to the things that you believe. Because remember, in this in this book, it's not just belief for the sake of right belief, although that's good. It's belief and action always go hand in hand. It's never just belief over here and action over here like they're somehow divorced from each other. They always go hand in hand. And so for Paul, he begins to look at what are the implications for what the what you have, what I've just told you about Jesus Christ. And so I think for us, the, the temptation would be to learn some really good stuff, to go home, to kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, well done, I've studied hard, I've applied myself, I understand these passages of Scripture. And it have no effect on our lives. And some I'll walk around and have, have conversations with people and challenge people, but it not affect our lives. And see, in in Jesus' time, there was a group of of men called Pharisees. And they knew all of the law. They had most of what we call the first five books of the Bible memorized. They knew knew their stuff. They had it down. But what happened was, is this truth, this life-giving truth, did not bring life to them. Instead, they used it as a place of pride place of prominence, to put themselves up, to say, look what I understand. I know the law. I know the word. And it didn't have effect on their hearts and in their lives. That's why I think Paul for us is, is, is encouraging us and directing us to say, guys, look, you know some things about Christ. However, this must translate into the way that we live our lives. This has huge implications for our lives. So he says, don't be like a Pharisee. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ called the Pharisees. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. Look really good on the outside, but on the inside, it's just dead man's bones. Or he says, you're like a, you're like a cup that is clean on the outside, but on the inside, it's, it's full of greed and filthiness. It's not pleasing to God. So we may put up a good front. We may know the right arguments to know the right verses have all the things to say. But if it doesn't affect your lives, he says it's good for nothing. It has to have an effect on our lives. And so for us, Paul, I believe, is concerned that we begin to put into practice these things. And say, don't be like the Pharisees. There's so much more to this. This is, this is truth that is, is, is there for us to begin to live out and put into practice. To be challenged with on a daily basis. So let's dig into what Paul has to say for us so that we ourselves would not be headed in that direction, so that we would be protected from thinking that we're, we just know some things and that's good enough that that's all there is to it. Paul says, no, no, no. There is a way in which we live our lives before others and before Christ that can honor and glorify Him. So let's start chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So because we have been raised with Christ, and we talked about that last week, because we have been raised with Christ, he says, now, here's some things that we can begin to do. The first thing is this, is seek. The first thing is this is seek. In your notes, you'll see it, the word seek. And I would, I would write this word next to that. Active pursuit. Two words, active pursuit. There's, there's an active pursuit, there's a seeking pursuit, That Paul says for us to do seek the things that are above. And the present tense of this word in this passage is this word keep seeking. It's not a a seek one time, it's a, a keep seeking. I remember when I was a child, we'd go to these like picnics with people, like work picnics or something, and they'd have this big sandbox for all the kids. And they'd put all these like pennies and nickels and stuff in the sandbox and They'd have all the kids kind of line up ready to go and they would like say go. And then all the kids would just pile in the sandbox and try to find all the buried treasures they could. And it was like this active pursuit and you're going after the. I mean, you get done with like 14 cents. You'd be like, oh, I've made it. I found the treasure. I've got 14 cents. It was worth my time. I know it was there for an hour, but it was worth it for this 14 cents. But it's this active pursuit. It was like this, this, ongoing, and then you'd go back later after everyone is gone to find out if there's anyone, you know, anything left. And you'd find a penny. And you're just so happy. And there's this active pursuit, this seeking after, this going after. And for us, he says, keep seeking the things that are above. Now, if you want to look in verses twelve and fourteen, I think it for us gives us an idea of what these things are. So in this passage, in this, in this text here, it says, verses 12 and 14, what are these things that we're to keep seeking? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And he says, in the end, love. Why do we seek these things? Because in these things we see Jesus Christ. He is, he is the epitome. He is a compassionate heart. He's kindness. He's humility. He's meekness. As we begin to seek Christ, we see these things. And these are values that characterize the very nature of Christ. And so, if you want to get to know who Christ is and to understand his character we look at these things because these things characterize Christ i think of michelle she's got a photography business and so i know michelle as a friend as as a she's my wife as a mother as as a, just you know caring for people i know all these things about michelle But there's this area of her life, this photography thing, that I don't go with her on photo shoots because I'm usually watching the kids. So there's this area of her life that I want to get to know. I want to see what she's like in this area. I want to see what she's like on a photo shoot and the way she talks to people, interacts with kids, and and encourages brides and, and grooms, and all these different things that she has interactions with. And so for us, as we look into the Word of God, we begin to see Jesus Christ in a fuller sense. And so the Word of God for us is so important because it's in the Word that we see Christ interacting for the poor, caring for the poor, the sick, healing the blind, loving people, reaching out to those who've been rejected. We see, this, we see these in Christ Jesus, caring for the widowed, the orphaned. We see all these things in the Word of God in Christ Jesus. And so we're to to seek these things out. And I think primarily for us, we seek them out in the Word of God. So write that down. You want to know what Christ is like? You want to seek the things of Christ? We seek these things out primarily, not exclusively, but primarily in the Word of God. Now, he goes from seek the things that are above to set your minds on the things that are above. So there's a seeking... And there's a setting, a seeking and a setting. Now, the word that I, I wrote next to this word set is this. It's intentional. So I'd write that down. It's intentional. When I when we first purchased our house, we, uh, we walked through the house with my neighbor, who also happens to be my real estate agent, which I didn't realize he was my real estate agent when I, you know, when we were looking at the house and to find out he lives next door, which is really strange. So he kind of has the ins and outs of the house because he's lived next to the house for a long time. And so as we're looking through our house that we live in now, you know, we're going through this back room and there's these like double, like kind of double doors that lead to the to the back porch area that which is like just screen. You know, we're walking through and they're like, "Oh, these doors are kind of flimsy." He's like, "Yeah, you know, a couple of years ago someone broke into the house." And you know, took some stuff, whatever, and just kind of moved on to the living. Room. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a second! Someone broke into the house. How they got into these doors? Obviously, they haven't really done anything to like kind of repair them. And you know, so for him, it was just kind of this no big deal. He doesn't have to live in the house, you know. And so, in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, this house is vulnerable to breaking. There's, there's something's going to happen here. There's. You know, eventually someone's gonna realize that nothing's been fixed on these doors. So we can just come right back in and go through these doors, or whatever else we're gonna do. And uh, so, in my mind, I've got this understanding that this house is easy to break into. Therefore, if someone wants to come and break in my house, man, this is, this is this is how you do it. Okay, I put a there's a bigger lock on there now. But um, the thing is, one night we get so we get back from our honeymoon. This is we our second or third night in the house and it's about two o'clock in the morning and our, just our floors are like just all, are all wood floors and they creak so loudly. If like someone were to break in the house and we were there by like the second step, all the lights are on. Everyone's awake. Everyone's like, Hey, who's here? What are you doing? What do you need? You know, it's just, that's the way it is. It's so, so loud and creaky. So I hear this creak, this creak, creak. Freak. And I'm lying in bed, and I'm like, "Oh no!" So the guy came back, <laughs> and we're here, and I don't have any weapons near me. I'm gonna have to like, I'm gonna have to get this guy. I'm gonna protect my wife. I'm doing my husband duty. This is what like we're married. This is what husbands do. If I got, if I'm killed, I'm you know, it's, it's the line of duty kind of thing. So, so I remember how my heart is pounding, and and so I get out of bed. And I'm like, Michelle, just, you know, get ready on the phone. If you hear me screaming, just, you know, call 911. I'm being assaulted by someone. Um, so I get out of bed, and I'm just, I'm, man, my heart's, I'm ready to fight someone, and take him down. And as I walk past the bathroom, I realize that the faucet's dripping, and that was making all the noise. But the thing was, and I'm well, such a knee, go, yeah, it's just the faucet. You didn't, you know, shut it off. I'm sure it was you, not me, but... Um, but here's the thing, because my mind was already set on this understanding of the house being easily to be broken into, therefore when something came up that allowed me to even give the slightest thought of the house being broken, I immediately assumed that's what the case was. So my heart, or my mind was already set on this understanding of this is the way things are. And so when this so when this noise happens, it's a break-in, it's not a leaky faucet, it's not the furnace turning on, it's... It's it's immediately it's a break in someone's in the house and I got to go to I got to go fight someone. All right. But here's the thing for us. When we set our minds on believing the truth about God, we intentionally incline ourselves to resist what is not true. So when we begin to set ourselves and our minds upon Jesus Christ, upon who he is, we incline ourselves to the truth about who He is. And when something comes up to attack or confront or a lie that we seek to believe, there's this inclination to the truth and not to the lie. Just like there's an inclination to believe that which we've already begun to put into our mind, the same thing with this. There's an inclination as we set ourselves on Christ. There's an inclination to the truth. So how do we set our minds on things above? How can we intentionally set our minds on things above? Colossians 3.16, we're going to jump down kind of to the end of the text here. It gives a couple things for us to consider. Colossians 3.16 says this, and I'm just going to give you the, you know, I'm going to read it and then we'll, get, we'll go through it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So there's, it gives us four things for us to consider how we begin to set our minds on things above. Let the Word of Christ dwell in us. At Mercy Hill, home groups or life share groups are so vitally important. It's an opportunity for us to come together to intentionally begin to talk about with one another. What is God saying? What does the word of God say? What, is, what have we been studying? What have you been challenged with? How are you applying this to your life? What are the things that, that, that you have learned that I can learn from you and you can learn from me? So there's this word of God that we can begin to help one another to dwell on. And that's why it's so important. If you are not part of a life share group, you t- we need to get involved in life share. You need to get involved in life share. This is so important. So, I don't know if we've got signups afterwards, but um, if if you have any question about life share, come see me or see Tom. We will help you in in looking for a life share group. But this is where we intentionally look at the Word of God together. Number two is this, teaching and admonishing. There's an opportunity. We, we believe that Sunday morning is, is a high priority for us because it is an opportunity for us to hear the Word of God proclaimed. There's this aspect of the Word of God being proclaimed to us on a Sunday morning unlike any other morning of the week. And so we make Sunday mornings a priority at Mercy Hill. We've, we value Sunday mornings we invest our time into Sunday mornings. We appreciate Sunday mornings because the very reason that we, be, we intentionally set our minds on things above by the teaching of the Word of God. And so we value the Word of God and the, the proclaimed Word of God on Sunday mornings. Number three is singing psalms and hymns. Adam Kern leads the worship team songs that set our attention not on ourselves, but on the Lord. We begin to set our minds on things above above. As we begin to sing, proclaim to God and to one another who God is, what God has done, how we've been redeemed. These things reemphasize and intentionally help us to set our minds on things above. And number four is this thankfulness in our hearts. I can really think of fewer ways that we can really fully express our thankfulness to God than in the partaking of communion together as a a body of believers. It is a time for us to come to the Lord with thankful hearts that we have been welcomed back to him again. That no matter what happened that week, no matter the things you saw or did or said, it is for us an opportunity to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. And now to be welcomed back into fellowship with him again. What an incredible opportunity we have every Sunday morning it is an awesome experience for us to express to God our thankfulness. As we take the bread and drink the juice, it is, it is an expression, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done. The reason I have fellowship with you isn't because of what I have done. It's because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. So it is an opportunity for us to express thankfulness to God and to return back to Him again. To receive grace and mercy for the weak. Now, Paul looks and says, So seek and set. How is this possible? Let's look at verses 3 and 4. He says this, This is how these things are possible. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with Him in glory. And we talked about this last week. We have been identified in Christ Jesus. When we believe that His death on the cross was for our sins and His resurrection was for new life, God says He does something in the inside of us. And he identifies us with Christ Jesus. There's this identification with Christ, his union with Christ. And as I was reading this passage, I thought, man, this book, I feel like every passage in this, in this book that we've looked at comes keeps, it keeps coming back to this truth of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. It, it just every pa- Every single week, I think I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but it keeps coming back to this truth. Paul keeps putting our attention back on this truth. That we can't escape this everything that we are, every our understanding of all, of the Word of God, of who we are, of what He has done, it all comes back, it keeps coming back to this truth. This truth of the of of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ. It is keeps coming back to this. And so as we look at some of the things that, we, that he says, hey, put off these things, put on these things, it's rooted in what has happened in us because of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So as we, look at, as we move on to look at the rest of this, of this text, it is not, it's not self-help, it's not pull yourself up by the bootstraps, it's not try to get, work up enough strength to do this. What we're going to talk about next is rooted in this truth, in this union with Christ. In this life that we have in Christ Jesus, we have to keep in mind this is not self-help. It's not Christian self-help at all. It's a complete denial of self and clinging to Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, you are my everything, and apart from you I have nothing. You are my portion. Okay, so let's look. Let's look at verses 5 through 11. seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So he says, put to death what is earthly in you. Put to death. These are strong words. This isn't like, hey, not a good idea. He says, no, 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 put to death. There's some things that are in you that need to be put to death. I think just a couple ways to understand this. This is uh, just an understanding of what's called indwelling sin in our lives. Is this, I have a Pontiac car, okay? So by the end of 2010, they're going to quit making Pontiac cars they're going to shut down any Pontiac car plants. They're not going to make any more Pontiac cars. Well, here's the deal. Even though they shut down the plants, there's still Pontiac cars on the road. And there's going to be for some time. So even though the plant, the thing that manufactured this, these cars is done, there's still cars running around the roads. And so I think for us sometimes, God has put to death the thing that, the, the, the sin that was inside, the sin nature that was inside of us. He says, put that to death. But there's still sin that runs around in our lives. It says, you need to put this to death. You need to get rid of this. Or I think of um, this past week we had a fire in our stove. Basically in a matter of, of like five days, every major appliance in our kitchen either broke down or quit working. Um, and so we had a fire in our stove, which is just, you know, just it's an electrical fire, which is even worse, right? So there's a fire in our stove. We put the fire out. But yet, even a day later, there's still this lingering smell of fire in the house. You can't just get fire smell; just doesn't go away real quick. And so, I, you know, for us, even though the sin nature is dead inside of us, yet there's still this lingering sin that we must put to death in us. This indwelling sin that we must put to death. And so, Paul, what he does is he breaks down these sins sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. He breaks them down into two areas. First one is this, is sensuality. The first four things describe sexual sin. And the thing for us is we may see in one night of television or movie, we may see more, perversion and sexual immorality on TV in one night than our grandparents saw in a lifetime. It invades our lives. It comes crashing in. If we're not, we're not vigilant about this, man, it just comes rushing into our lives. It is everywhere. And we are surrounded by things that fill our minds and ultimately affect our actions. It does it all the time with the simplest things. So he has sensuality on one hand, and the next thing is covetousness. covetousness is word always wanting more, whether pleasures or things it 's never being satisfied there's always an out of control desire for more. And I think what would probably typify this is materialism. okay Now, how many of you went shopping on Friday or Saturday this week okay so i don 't even need to talk about this we don 't have that problem at all. Um, next, no. <laughs> It's not wrong to go shopping. It's not wrong to buy Christmas presents. But here's the thing. This is the way in which we think. So in America, we have this financial crisis happening right now. And there's many reasons for this thing. And I'm not an economist, so I can't you know, go into all the details. But this is just, just an observation. okay? I think one of the reasons that we're in this financial crisis is because of greed. All right, There's an insatiable desire for more for more things, bigger houses, more cars, whatever it is. It's an insatiable desire for these things. And so America, the way in which America is going to fix the problem, to fix the the slumping economy, whatever else, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give tax rebates to people, right? So that you'll have more money to spend later. It's not like hey, there's we have a problem with greed, so we're gonna we're gonna confront the greed and and try to help everyone understand and be content with what they have. What we're gonna do is we're gonna give you more money to spend, more money to get more things, and that's gonna fix the problem. And so that's our understanding of how things are gonna go. Paul's answer to this sensuality and materialism isn't tax rebates, more money, spend more, get more, and then you'll kind of you know everything's gonna work out. He says this. Put to death. Put to death. We sang this song today. God is more than enough. More awesome than I know. And we can sing that song and all agree with it. But in our hearts, you know, just this past week, past couple days, Michelle and I are are sitting there talking and I almost felt bad that there wasn't something that I wanted. Like everyone had like, oh, I got to get this. gotta get this TV. You know, everyone's got something they saw on sale. These plasma TVs at Walmart for six hundred bucks or whatever it is. And it's designed so in my own heart I'm like, man, I feel kinda of bad. There's really I don't have like want like a TV real bad or you know, all these things. And it's almost feel bad for not wanting something. But as we sing the song, God is more than enough. It's not bad to shop, to buy gifts, to buy presents, whatever it is, as long as it lines up with the word of God and what God wants. But it's an understanding that God is more than enough that we sing that song, we just don't say the words. We believe it. We live it. There's a a quote that Ed Welch wrote, and it's this. In a preparation for his book called A Banquet in the Grave, Ed Welch said this, There is a mean streak of authentic self-control. Self-control is not for the timid. When we want to grow in it, Not only do we nurture an exuberance for Jesus Christ, we also demand of ourselves a hatred for sin. The only possible attitude toward out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. There is something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or a rustling of the leaves, and you are in attack mode. Someone coughs and you are ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. There is a mean, violent streak in the true Christian life. But violence against whom or what? Not other people. It's a violence against all all the impulses in us that would be violent to other people. It's a violence against all the impulses in our own selves that would make peace with our own sin and settle in with a peacetime mentality. It's a violence against all lust in ourselves and enslaving desires for food or caffeine or sugar or chocolate or alcohol or pornography or money or the praise of men and the approval of others or power or fame. It's a violence against the impulses in our own soul toward racism and sluggish indifference to injustice and poverty and abortion. Christianity is not a settle in and live at peace with this world the way it is kind of religion. If by the Spirit you will kill the deeds of your own body, you will live. Christianity is war on our own sinful impulses. And so these things that Paul says put to death, there is a declaration of war in us that we put these things to death, that we go to war, we go to battle with these things. We don't just allow them to run rampant in our lives and think it's no big deal. He says, "Put these things to death." Now, in Colossians three six through eleven, he also talks about putting things away. He says, "Put to death these things. Put put other things away." And so, as a couple of these things, he says, "Put to death" are more easily hidden, if you will, kind of more personal sins that you could think, "Yeah, I can kind of have these things going on and no one will know." These other ones that he says, "Put away" are kind of more in a sense, visible, more corporate in a sense, if you will. You know, it's, these other things absolutely affect all of our lives and affect everyone around us. But these other things are more, in a sense, corporate. They spill over. There's more, there's more of this visible in our lives. And he says, he gives two different areas of, of, of our lives. He says, one is attitudes. So there's anger, wrath, and malice. And there's also speech, slander, obscene talk, and lying. He says, we need to put these away. We need to get rid of them. Now, it's not just that we put to death and put these things away. But it's also what Paul goes on to say in verses 12 through 15. And we're going we're gonna to read this together. He says this, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. So Paul says in these first verses, he says, put away, put to death. And now he moves on and says, now put on. I've got this ugly old T-shirt that I keep that I can't get rid of. I don't know if Michelle threw it out or not, but this is like this Bulls T-shirt with the cut-off sleeves, okay? And it's ugly, and I wear it to, when I wear it to youth group functions, people would go to Michelle afterwards like, man, why is your husband wearing this ugly shirt? I mean, it's just nasty and... So I'd be like, okay, look, I won't wear anymore, but I'm just going to keep it over here off to the side, okay, just in case I need it sometime. I don't want to get rid of this thing. It's a bull's shirt, and I love it, you know. But well, what would happen is as soon as it would get really hot, I'd be like, well, I'm going to go back to the bull's shirt because it's hot, and I don't want to wear short sleeves. It's more comfortable, you know. So what, what happens, though, is because I had nothing else to wear in its place, I would just then resort back to the thing which I had in the first place, okay? It's this ugly old bull's shirt that I couldn't get rid of. And so in the same way for us, Paul is saying, hey guys, look, you need to get rid of some of these things. However, if, you're, if they're not replaced with the right attitudes and the right thoughts and the right words, not replaced with the, with the things which we see in Christ Jesus, the moment we have an opportunity to resort back to the things we will, because there's nothing in its place to, for us to get a hold of. So there needs to be some other shirt that I go to, so I throw away the old Get a brand new shirt. So when the opportunity comes, man, I'm grabbing the new shirt. I'm not grabbing the old Bulls shirt. Okay? So this is what Paul says. He says, we put these things on. We not only get rid of and put to death these things, we put these things on. And so there's also in this, I kind of categorize these in two areas. One is personal and one is corporate. Personal being just more, more, although they affect everything, they're more or less in our own hearts and our lives that we cultivate. So personally he says this peace in the the peace of Christ in our hearts, humility and meekness. And there's also a corporate that that we look at as well and is this kindness, patience, bearing with one another, love, thankfulness. So we we put these things on. We begin to do these things. And I would love to go through all these these different ones, but I feel like the Lord's directing me to just kind of share on one in particular. But the way in which we break the power of these things in our lives, begin to put to death, is not only seeking and setting, but also, he says, putting off and replacing it with something else. So we want to break the power of, of greed in our lives. We don't just, just trying to stop being greedy. He says this, we break that by beginning to give. By beginning to be generous. You want to break the power of greed in your life? Begin to give away. So it's not just stopping being greedy. It's replacing it with generosity, contentment. So the power of pride. It's not just that we quit being prideful. It's that we get rid of the pride and begin to put on humility. Considering others more important than ourselves. There's this replacement that we have. It also works this way as well. You're not a compassionate person. You know what? We begin to care for the poor, the broken. We're going to start um, distributing food through this church with Children's Hunger Fund. Within a matter of probably a month or two, we'll be able to have we'll be able to take food in from Children's Hunger Fund and distribute it out to people who are needy. I think this is a great and incredible opportunity ministry for us as a church, not only for those who have in a sense, a compassionate heart for the, for the poor and the broken and lost. But I think for those of us who are greedy and selfish, this is an incredible opportunity for us to break that power of greed and selfishness and begin to give out, begin to minister, begin to care for, begin to love, begin to look after those and pray for those who are, who are broken and needy and in a hard place and ultimately who need, need Jesus Christ in their lives. So, you may be here today and you think, well, I'm not going to ever serve in children's ministry because I just don't have this thing for children. Uh, I, you know, I like kids and they're great, but, I, you know. Guys, if we want to see a compassion for, for children, a love for children, begin to serve in children's ministry. God's, you're going to begin to re- get rid of this just kind of selfishness and just kind of, uh, you know, kids, they, they they're, they're hard to get along and, they're, they're tough, and they cry, and they got to change diapers and whatever else. There's an opportunity for us to begin to love children. Love the, the, the children that are precious to the Lord. But the one thing that I just, as I was reading this, the one thing I felt for us to really grab hold of is is this forgiveness. It's forgiveness. As I was praying for this church, I felt the Lord would direct us to really spend The rest of this message is looking at forgiveness. And the way that we look at forgiveness in this text, in this passage, is this forgiveness isn't based on if we're if we're if we're right in our, you know, if someone has wronged us, we have got a right to not forgive them or whatever it is. But he says, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So we're given a commandment to forgive and we're given a standard for what that forgiveness looks like. First, forgiveness is from God to us. I've got a quote in your sheet by Karl Barth. It says this, Look once again to Jesus Christ in His death upon the cross. Look and try to understand that what He did and suffered, He did and suffered for you, for me, for us all. He carried our sin, our captivity, and our suffering. And he, and he did not carry it in vain. He carried it away. So first, forgiveness is from God to us. And forgiveness is second, from us towards other people. It's based upon Jesus Christ forgiving us and what that looks like. I want to close with this story of forgiveness. Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch um, girl at the time that the, uh, the Nazis came in and invaded the Netherlands and began to take Jews away and put them into concentration camps. So Corey's family began to house Jewish people in their basement, hide them from being taken away to concentration camps. And it, as she did that, they were eventually found out by the Nazis and they themselves were put into a concentration camp. And she writes this. It was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him. A balding, heavy set man in a gray overcoat. A brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat in the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush, a huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home, During the Nazi occupation of Holland, this man had been a guard at Ravensbruck concentration camp where we were sent. And now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard there. But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive the men their trespasses, Jesus says, Neither will your Father in Heaven forgive you of your trespasses. Still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, please help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And so we have an opportunity to experience God's love and mercy and forgiveness in our lives because of Jesus Christ. He calls us to not just be... Those who know the truth begin to live it out. And so, I want to ask you this as I close. Are you withholding forgiveness? Have you heard the truth of Jesus Christ, but yet in your heart are refusing to forgive those around you? Whether Whether they have legitimately hurt you, affected you, offended you, spoken against you, stabbed you in the back, we have an opportunity today as we come to the the, the Lord's Supper, the communion table, to get all those things right with God, to ask for His forgiveness, to repent of withholding forgiveness, the very thing He commands us to do, full and free pardon. So as as we do this, Tom leads us in this time, I want you to ask yourselves this question. Am I withholding forgiveness from somebody? And then secondly, Lord, what is it that you are calling me to put off or put to death? And what is it that you're calling me to put on? What is it that you'd have me to do? What is it that you want me to get rid of? What is it by your grace you want me to put on? Begin to live for you that way. I'm going to pray and close this out. And then Tom's going to lead us in communion. Again, this is an opportunity for us to come back to the Lord. Be welcome back to him again. So Lord we ask this morning Lord help us Lord help us to put to death those things that dishonor you and hurt ourselves and others around us. God we know that you have got for us and have planned for us an opportunity to receive grace because of Jesus Christ to be forgiven and be set free to live for you with all of our hearts. God, that is what we want to do. So Lord, help us. If we are withholding forgiveness, Lord, help us to freely forgive the way you have forgiven us. In Jesus' name, amen.